Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Star Trek Zhuzurations. I, as always, am your host, Jack Tracy, here to review 30-year-old episodes of the third spinoff of a show from the 1960s, because, I mean, what else do I have to do with my time? <laughs> Kidding, of course. We love Star Trek. I like to talk about Star Trek. I want to talk about Star Trek all the time. If I think I've commented that it's actually become part of my dating life in that I've got to make sure you like it, have some experience with it, or can at least nerd out with me. Because if we can't talk talk Star Trek, I'm not going to suck your dick. Um, that's that's wildly untrue. Okay, so <laughs> what are we doing here? Well, let's do the housekeeping stuff, of course. You can, uh, if you're watching me now, seeing my face on a video, it means that you're a subscriber to the Patreon, where you can watch the video episodes, and that's patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh, Star Trek Z-H-U-Z-H, where for just a few bucks a month, you can get early episodes, video releases, and be invited to the first live Zhuzh that I'm going to do, TBD, but it's going to be Star Trek Insurrection. We're going to watch it together and judge it together. So you're not going to want to miss that. So make sure to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh. And of course, follow me on Instagram uh, to see all my little clips and such, uh, Star Trek Zhuzh there as well. Um, oh yeah, and don't forget the merch. Actually, someone came up to me on the street the other day and was like, I love your t-shirt. Where can I get it? And it, it just, it was the discovery parody one where it just says Zhuzh across the chest instead of disco. And I was like, oh, are you, a, um, are you a Star Trek fan? He's like, no. And I'm like, oh, this is from my like Star Trek podcast. He was like, oh, well, we say zhuzh all the time. Me and my friend group say zhuzh all the time. I love it. So I may have made a sale on Redbubble for a Star Trek podcast merch item from someone who doesn't even watch Star Trek. So if he liked it, then I guarantee a Star Trek fan will even more. So go ahead and check that out. Um, what else should we talk about? I think that's it. I think we dive in. We're finishing season two today, Save Basics. So I've decided that next week I am going to do um, that previously mentioned Seska episode, and I'm going to frame it around discussing basics and all of the things, all of the things, all of the extra stuff I wanted from Seska on this series. Man, do I love Seska. Uh, Seska tattoo pending. I know we get her back for worst case scenario, which we'll talk about in a few episodes, but more Seska. But that's next week. Basics and Seska is next week. So that means we've got to finish season two today. Now, those of you looking at your episode lists might be thinking like, um, Jack, that's a that's a lot of episodes that you gotta get through. And the thing is, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say from meld to basics is the strongest stretch of Star Trek Voyager, period. I think all seven seasons. Now, I'm only about a quarter of the way through season seven on my rewatch, but, and I'd have to go back and look just to be confident about this, but there is an extremely strong roster of episodes. It's one good one after another. If you were watching Star Trek Voyager in real time and you were in season two, once you hit this point, I have to assume you were really happy. This is the closest I think Voyager gets to the string of just 
this was great, this was great, next week great, next week great, that TNG hit in sort of its seasons three through five. It had pretty long sprints of like, oh, every episode is great. I think this is the closest Voyager gets to that. There were certainly better episodes later, but this sort of like week after week after week, just like killing it. So a lot of these I'm not really going to talk about. I only have two to zhuzh today, and one of them, I think some of you are going to disagree that I'm going to zhuzh it, but it was it was um, Captain Jeremiah, our guest, thank you again to Captain Jeremiah, our guest last week, it's the episode he hates the most. Um, so I felt like I should, I should get on board and try to judge it, even though I think the episode's pretty solid. Um, but here we go. So the episodes that I am not going to judge are Meld. I love Lon Suter. I, I really love that he died in Basics Part 2 because it was such a meaningful moment and really good drama and really good storytelling. But boy, do I wish he was around a bit more because he was just so good. Um, but introducing Lon Suter was great. And Tim Russ's performance, losing his control, becoming violent, wanting to kill Suter, all of that. Really, really, really cool. This was a very cool episode. Um, especially, I think, the episode before this was Threshold. So I think we sort of had a you know, had a reset with Threshold. And we get back into Meld and it's like, oh, oh, this is good. I do think we did too much mind-melding on Star Trek Voyager with Tuvok. It seemed to be like an easy go-to strategy for him. And I feel like it was more sparingly used with Spock. Correct me if I'm wrong, I, I didn't really watch the 60s series because that is a hard watch. Um, but uh, I feel like... Much in the way that that Voyager really borged it up later, it was like we're, we're you we're leaning on this too much, too many mind melds from Tuvok. I personally think, but this was a great example of it. Um, it also makes it interesting as to why don't we see more Vulcan ships counselors, especially if they can use melding as like a therapeutic technique. That seems to be something interesting we can explore in, in maybe, I bet you a Star Trek novel has done that. That sounds like something a pocket books novel would have done, and well. Um, I know that there was the Vulcan counselor that took over for Troy in the post-Nemesis books, and that she was, she didn't like Picard, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, everyone hated her. But, um, um, yeah, using, using, so, so Tuvok sort of, he becomes a, a telepathic coach for Kess. He becomes a um, let's uh, help Balana chill the fuck out. And uh, he's also using it to cure um, serial killers. Uh, so it seems like the Vulcans have a lot to do with ship's counselors. Anyway, um, love the episode. Then we go to Dreadnought, which is a great Balana episode that is centered on her. Maquis past and engineering capability, not her temper. Which again, I think I mentioned this last time or two times ago, too much on Belana hates being a Cleon. Belana is um, angry all the time. 
this is one of those episodes where it's like, good, we, we, we ignored that. Also, um, oddly liked Muse from later, again, I'm, I'm in my rewatch, so I'm, I'm deeper in Voyager right now, but, um, just Bolana stories that, that don't have anything to do with Paris, don't have anything to do with, um, which we don't really get into it because we're only in the first three seasons, but their relationship is, I mean, if they make an appearance in Picard, I do hope they're divorced by now because that is, is, I do not, that is not a good couple. Um, so great episode about Bolana, uh, their temper, and you start to get the seeds of Jonas, which, you know, play into later stuff. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Death Wish. We finally get Q on Star Trek Voyager. Now, I love Q, but the Q of Star Trek Voyager is only mildly better than Q on Deep Space Nine. I honestly think Q only works on Next Generation. I don't think Q really works on Voyager. And we only get three appearances. Death Wish, Q in the Grey, and um, when his son. Q2? Something with his son. Season 7. I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I'm not sure. Certainly, John Delancey and Kate Mulgrew are friends, and they have fun. But... I didn't find any of the Q stories particularly interesting on Voyager or his appearance necessary. However, um, his this episode is probably his best. Seeing him in another courtroom atmosphere, you know, despite the fact that he's like a lawyer or the prosecutor, I guess. Um, but seeing him in a courtroom, he's a little bit more menacing again. Uh, which he started to lose over the course of TNG. That was fun. Um, the Quinn was a great actor, great character. It was very sad when he ultimately decided to to die. I thought that was very... Um, it reminded me of, I believe it's the defector when the Romulan kills himself. Yeah, it felt very that. Um, honestly, my problem with this episode, I'm not going to judge it, it's a great episode, Um is Riker. Why? Voyager has a weird... um, Voyager has a weird use of cameo from other franchises. Like, I feel like Jonathan Frakes was just hanging around. Like, he was, like, having lunch on the lot with a friend. And they're like, yo, you want to be in this? Yeah, sure. Do Do you have my costume? Yeah, it's over here. Great. It's weird, especially if, if, and I don't think they established that any of the Voyager people in that room, like, personally know Riker. They know of him because he's the first officer on the flagship, but yeah, it's weird. I like the idea of a cameo, but this just, this was, why him and why and... It didn't need to be Riker. It could have been anyone. And the fact that it was Riker just seemed um, like New Trek Today, where we, aside from Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, which are amazing, where we just throw in references for references' sake to hope that you'll keep watching, that you'll see something from some episode you remember. Anyway, it just the Riker thing didn't make sense. As much as I love Riker and seeing him, 
It just didn't make any sense. Um, life signs. I really like Dr. Pell. I know she appears a little bit later. Would have loved more of her. Great actress. Uh, the love story for the doctor is really great. Um, good setup for Paris. I feel like Voyager's really killing it right now on the, like, planting. Like, still, still bottle episodes, but with, like, a thread of serialized storytelling because we're setting up the Tom being a, def, you know, leaving Voyager, which sets up jo exposing Jonas. Like, all of that's being set up here, and I like that. Um, I like when, yeah, I like when Voyager does that. So I was happy about that. He was good in it. Um, the, the, the romance. Now, I do have... I get that the doctor uses holography a lot in figuring out solutions. Makes sense. He is a hologram. Uh, he did it with Neelix's telepathic lungs, right? And now he's doing it with giving a holographic body to a patient whose body is deteriorating. Now, I don't remember, maybe I should go back and look, but I feel like this wasn't a forever solution. Like, it couldn't do it forever. Right? Yeah, because she tries to kill the body because knowing that she'll also die. Um, but, where is the Star Trek story about people living forever because they just transfer themselves into holograms. Now, we got a little... I think TNG did this with some um, brain transfer early seasons, like maybe season two, and Data was involved in that. Um, forgetting his name. I feel like it starts with a D. That scientist. So there, there was... Or was that, was that Regis O'Connor? I don't remember. Um, but there was an early episode where, where, where that sort of immortality thing but it feels like the doctor was on the cusp of like oh when you about to die we'll just create a holographic body for you and transfer your brain into that and then you'll live forever and so i feel like there's a really great star trek story there to be told about like people who when they move on go into this like holographic program and just like live their lives forever and what that does. And that could also be, you know, that's kind of like a, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is a death wish kind of story of like, I want to be turned off. I'm exhausted. <laughs> this has been enough. Um, or life isn't, this isn't, or with um, Janeway and her holographic Irish boyfriend from a couple seasons later, where it's like, um, this isn't real because I can change anything I want. Anyway, it feels like there are implications of what the Doctor is doing that weren't really explored. But I do think they put a ticking clock on it. I do think it wasn't going to last forever. Anyway, but that doesn't mean it couldn't develop to that point. And then what do we do as a society? Anyway, Investigations. A really great Neelix episode. I think I think Ethan Phillips really... I mean, Ethan Phillips is always a great actor. His character is sometimes made deeply annoying. But this was a really great one, and where he was annoying because he was figuring something out that he wasn't supposed to be figuring out, and then they let him in on it. I just, I really like that. Um, it was tense. 
I definitely felt like the tension of knowing that that Jonas was the bad guy and that like at one point it looked like he was going to kill Neelix. Um, Paris is great. Like it's all just, it's all, re- and then Neelix's speech, you know, he's, I think it's the morning news. Yeah. He's got like, he's like the, the, the morning news announcer at the high school. <laughs> um, that should have continued. That disappeared after this. That was kind of fun. Uh, and they did the doctor in his interview and yeah, it was a great episode. It was really, uh, it was a good solid episode for Neelix and getting rid of Jonas that was set up earlier. So that was cool to do that. Deadlock really cool with the two different voyagers and having to take the casualties from uh, the the ones who had died in the other one and bring them over the the drama with getting you know the the fear of finding the baby the fact that the Vidians are organ harvesters that's again the Vidians were really scary and great villains um and I there's so much more I felt they could do with them I really really liked the Vidians I thought they were really unique um this episode was scary and, like, of course, Harry dies, and you know he's not going to die, die. But the way, the fact that he basically comes over from a duplicate, not quite an alternate reality, because he's pretty much the same up until that point. But, um, and the duplicate bait and duplicate Naomi, all of that's really interesting. And honestly, I wonder if that should have been addressed later. With, you know, when Naomi Wildman becomes like a character character on the show, if she sort of had a special relationship with Harry, because she knows that what Harry did, you know, brought her over. I, I don't know. Uh, the use of cast. It was, it was, I don't know. It was a great ensemble show. The two Janeways um, arguing of which one's going to blow up the ship. I, I really thought this was a really, really great episode with real stakes. You know, it, it's... It's tough, I think. And let me talk about that for a second. It's tough to build stakes in these episodes where you know none of the main characters are going anywhere. So if you kill one or you maim one or something, like you know by the end of the episode they'll be fine. So how do you build stakes? And I feel like New Trek has done that by making all of the threats or all of the fights grander in scope, right? So it's not uh, two ships have decloaked. It's 50 ships have decloaked. And it's that ship is six times the size of our ship and yada, yada. And not to say, you know, TNG did that with the Borg. That's what made the Borg ominous, among other things, of how, like, big and powerful they were. But... I feel like New Trek leans on that a lot to provide, and and I was talking, I think I was talking to Sean about this once, about how like, at the end of Picard, when it's like, five million Romulan ships versus ten million Starfleet ships, it's like, I remember when two Klingon, two Klingon birds of prey decloaked off the port bow, and that was enough to be like, oh shit, like, the delta between two versus one, and a hundred versus one, for like an audience, I don't think is that great. I, I don't think it matters. Especially when you know, like, you know, they are going to win. They are going to beat the odds in some way. All of these characters are going to live, right? So, I don't know. when It almost feels counterintuitive so that when you make it, like, oh, it's 50 starships. 
um, it's less exciting because it's like, well, uh, you know, obviously this doesn't mean anything because they're all going to survive. Anyway, that was a tangent. Um, but just Deadlock's really great. There are real stakes in it. In the same way, investigations before it, I, the real stakes with Jonas, I felt. I felt worried for Neelix. Um, it's just great storytelling. So those are two really great Star Trek episodes. I was shocked how much I loved the next one, Innocence. Because to me, when you're like, it's Tuvok episode, and there are Star Trek children, it's like, oh, God. Because you know my feelings about children on Star Trek. It, very few do I like. Most of them I want to go down with the ship. Um, so I was, I was worried. And I was really surprised by how much I liked this episode. And I wondered, I was like, wait, why do I love this so much? And then I saw it was written by the same person who wrote Resistance, which is also a very heartfelt, meaningful episode. And I was like, oh, this this writer gets it. Like, I, this writer and I, like, I fucks with this writer. Like, so hats off to making a Tuvok episode very interesting and meaningful him like taking care of the kids on the planet almost felt a little you know i always mention this episode because it's my favorite episode but picard in the elevator with the kids in disaster tuvok on the planet with these kids and the reception notes of the reception on the internet said that people really didn't like the ending i loved the ending that was a wild twist that these young people were actually old people and this was part of their, like, end of life. They weren't child sacrifices. This was, like, end of life thing. And I really liked that. I thought it was really interesting. Um, Tuvok staying with them. I thought it was a very sweet episode. And I was very much surprised by the twist. Um, we now get to resolutions. I think if... Well, one... Having joined Twitter for the sole purpose of promoting this podcast and interacting with the Star Trek community there, I was never fully aware of the the groundswell of we want Janeway and Chakotay together fandom. Like, there is a real fan community around Janeway and Chakotay getting together that I didn't know existed. Uh, I knew that they were trying to set them up, that they never really followed through, and they eventually put Chakotay and Seven together, which... It's so funny, because of all the things that... One of these days, I really want to sit Voyager next to Next Gen, because there's so many, not just, like, specific, like, stories or characters, but just, like, even the way the show ran its course parallels. You know, the season three to season four cliffhanger is... Um, uh, best of Both Worlds, a big Borg story. Voyager, it's Scorpion, a big Borg story. Um, ending with, you know, someone getting de-assimilated. And it's just like, like story after story after story after story, or, or, or uh, it arcs. There are a lot of similarities in arcs. And the reason I bring this up is because the why are Chakotay and Seven together in Endgame is the same as the why are Troy and Worf together at the end of All Good Things? Or at all good things at the end. Like, just so many weird parallels. Anyway. Um, but, the, yeah, so this episode, 
is the episode for the Janeway Chakotay fandom. And it's really well acted. And it made me want them together. And watching future episodes of their, you know, bonding and then their arguments and all of that. I'm actually... Now, I'm not going to create slash fiction and fan art around it, um, but I think I'm part of this community. I think I wanted it to end with those two together in some way, even if it was just a subtle nod to it or they get home and she wants to like, I don't know, like a date is set up or something and just end it there. Like we don't have to have them like romantic and wedding and together, but we could have them start a relationship. I thought would be interesting. Anyway, um, this episode really made me want the two of them to be together. And I loved what happens when you get a Captain Tuvok and the crew and then the argument and then deciding to get the help from the Vidians. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Oh, I, I wrote that this this episode had a feeling of um, Attached from TNG, which is another one of my favorite episodes because it deals with the Picard-Beverly stuff, which I suppose I should watch before season three of Picard comes in. All right, so that is a extremely one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Just a string of really great Star Trek episodes that I have very few complaints about. Great season two of Voyager might be okay of all the Berman Treks, the strongest second season of a show is Voyager, I would say. All right. Which brings us to our two judges, and of course, one of them you know what it is because it's it's right up there with threshold as like one of those episodes. We're gonna do that last. I'm going to tackle um, Captain Jeremiah's most hated episode, which is the thaw. Now, if he wouldn't have mentioned it, I probably wouldn't have judged it. Except I have comments, but I don't know if I would have fully reconstructed it. But since he really dislikes this episode, I thought maybe I should tackle it. Now, I think the reason he hates it is because fuck clowns, um, which is fine. Some people really, really, really hate clowns. I I am clown agnostic. I am a centrist moderate in the uh, on the topic of clowns. Um, so this is the episode where they un- they find people in stasis... And their minds are active and they go in to try to get them out of their, you know, whatever little simulated virtual reality universe they're living in to get their bodies out because they put themselves in there because there was a big ecological disaster and they were supposed to come out of it and didn't come out of it. We see this a lot, you know, stasis people. Um, I don't think it's enough to be a bellwether of a bad Star Trek episode, but we do. There's a lot of stasis people. So anyway, they go into stasis and Kim and Bellana go and they find that they like are in this like nightmare world and they're basically hostages and that, you know, it was supposed to be a utopia from their their desires and instead it created a fear-based, you know, place with crazy killer clowns. Um, and they have to trick the, the main clown who's outsmarting them into... Uh, Getting everybody free. So the things I like about this episode, uh, Michael McKeon, phenomenal, great actor, really ate up that role. Was a it's a pretty great Star Trek villain. Like goes up there and and really good toe to toe with Janeway at the end, especially 
strong actor, strong role, interesting part. I would put him... It would have been interesting if that character could have returned in some capacity and him sort of be the cue of Voyager. Far more of a tormentor, far more about fear. You know, maybe he downloaded himself into the Voyager computer and shows up later. Um, but this idea of of the tormenting and the fear, and it just, Michael McKeon's just great. So he's great. No notes on him. I thought the plot twists of outsmarting him were good. I, I was definitely caught by surprise. You know, the doctor goes in, the doctor doesn't really work. Um, they eventually, you know, distract him, slowly start taking things away. That doesn't really work. Janeway has to go in with her, and this is where we'll talk about it, but this, like, I am Janeway, but I'm not Janeway. And uh, that's how I'll trick you. That seems a little like, wait, what? Um, but yeah, the, the the plot twists and the, the general momentum of the, the episode is great. Okay. My biggest con is it's not creepy enough. Um, it looks like the Nightmare World looks like a TOS set. Like, drab, basic, overhead fluorescent lighting. Like, it's it's just, it's not very scary. And it looks super budget. Super budget. Um, so it's not creepy enough. And I'm not saying it has to be like Tim Burton gothic or whatever, but it's gotta be, I don't know. I don't know. It was, and if you're, if if the thought was, oh, the characters have made things creepy, but the this is the place where they wanted to live. It's like th- this, this. Um, it feels like a black box theater set. You know, where it's just like here's a bunch of blocks. Use your imagination and transport us to a world with your high school acting. That that's me talking about black box theater, not the Voyager cast. They're great actors. That I wasn't referring to them. Um, didn't like it. Didn't like didn't like the set. Didn't like even like yes, I get you made them sort of carnival people and you didn't make it Earth Carnival, you made it Hodgepodge Alien Carnival. But no. Just no. Wasn't scary enough. Look the everything just looked budget. Um It feels like this is like this is where the jury from the Farpoint Q trial people go on recess. It's like between trials. They like hang out in Nightmare World with Michael McKeon. And then it's like, oh, judge is back from lunch. We got to go back and uh, talk about Frozen Tasha. And they're like, cool. Uh, we'll be back to terrorize you later. Yeah, that's what it kind of feels like who these people are. Not scary enough. Not Michael McKeon's scary. The rest of them, no. Also, the... Um, the fears aren't specific. It's just like, you're afraid because we're going to chop off your head. You're afraid because we're going to put a scalpel in you. You're afraid. Like, it's all physical fear, not mental fear. I think they make Harry old for a minute. Um, the fears aren't specific enough to the people, especially if it's being generated from reading their minds. 
more specific, because that way you can learn more about a character. Again, these I've said this on other episodes. Episodes like this are great windows into specific character traits of particular people, because you're in their head, and you can fuck with them specifically based on their specific backstory and their concerns and their fears, and this felt way too generic when they played on the fears. Um, right. So we changed the set... To make it more, honestly, make it a little more Pan's Labyrinth, I think. Creepy. Tim Burton, Pan's Labyrinth, something something more creepy. And um, I also like the idea of each person in it because it's, it's a visualization of their utopia that was twisted. Um, I think each person should see something different in terms of the setting. Like the same way that Cisco and Dax saw the wormhole differently when they were inside it, right? So you make it that through when you see it through Belana's eyes, it's this, but when you see it through Harry's eyes, it's this, when you see it through James' eyes, and that in itself can um, can tell us about the character in terms of, like, what it is they are seeing. Um, I, while I love the ending lines and his interaction with Janeway, the clown, here's how I would... So we make the fears more specific. We make the set more scary. The general concept of it is great, all of that. Um, I think the biggest change is the way that they fix it feels just very convenient. Like, oh, well, the whole stakes are if you go in, you're under his control, but you have to go in to let people out. And when we put the doctor in, he couldn't quite accomplish it. So what do we so we'll we'll just we'll send Janeway in, but not put her under. So she's there, but she's not there. And she's a hologram, and he'll think she's there, but she's not really there. She's downloaded the system, but she's not really downloaded the system. Like it just feels like I don't know. It feels just okay sure so instead i think you go with the simulated brain thing and you because they were going to give him a simulated brain he was interested at first but then he realized it's not going to be the same and he said screw it it's not going to give me the kind of torment i want well what if he can't recognize that at first so i think what they do is they create these simulated brains of particular voyager members including the captain, and they show up in a hostage exchange. They say, look, we are the senior officers of this ship. Um, we have decided we will stay if you let, you know, Harry and the, the, the people from your planet go. We will stay. And he thinks it's a trick and this and that, and he can scan them, he can realize them, whatever, that they are, that it's true and, and great. So... The real people are released, and what we don't know is that these are holographic and simulated brains that he starts to figure out by tormenting them. So we can actually see some real frightening stuff with some of our main cast members. Maybe it's Tuvok Chakotay and Janeway or something like that. Um, and I honestly think that in the end, so they get every, all the real people are out, he's in there with the brains, and either he realizes it, and we have like an Aramis moment of like, ah, I'm alone, or he never realizes it, and they don't destroy the system because it is technically a life form now, 
and they don't want to destroy it because it is a light form, even if it's a creepy clown one. But they do it in a Moriarty kind of way, where he just exists in this fake world that he thinks is real with real people. Um, yeah. That's how I would do that one. Which brings us to... Tuvix. <laughs> oh, Tuvix. Um, I mean, I got, honestly, the biggest problem with this is that the uh, character of Tuvix was, I like better than Neelix and Tuvok. And by the end of the episode, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's keep this guy. <sighs> Here are the pros. So Tuvix, there's a transporter accident because the orchids had weird properties and they're beaming up with these flowers. And it's Tuvok and Neelix and it mushes them together into a combined new person that also has new clothing, you know? Um, sure. And it ends up being becoming friends with people on the crew and doing Tuvok's job and there's there's a romantic issue with Kess because Kess has lost both her mentor and her partner and she has a hard time interacting with him but overall the ship's kind of like we like this guy this is cool until the doctor figures out how to separate them and then Janeway and the rest of the crew are basically like yeah you were cool but like fuck you and then sentence him to death which the doctor won't do and Janeway does anyway, but then we see that it was not an easy decision for her as she walks out of sickbay and sort of emotionally deals with what she has done, which was great. Guest star was pros. Guest star's great. Love the guest star. Love Tuvix as the actor. He was great. The moral quandary was great. It was very Star Trek. And again, Janeway's last scene with her dealing with the weight of it when she leaves sickbay, great. I think it's one of Jennifer Lean's um, best performances. I think her thing is Kess and Kess having to sort out her feelings for Tuvix is very, very interesting. Um, thought she did a great job. Like that. Uh, the doctor's objection to basically murdering Tuvix uh, was great. And within his character, and it was very, the, the overall just story and how people reacted and how it was told was very, very, very Star Trek. Unfortunately, the science is incredibly stupid. I mean, we have seen transporter accidents in the past. It's usually like makes a double, saves you in the pattern buffer, right? I can get behind that, but we've seen what happened with the transporter accident and like when it made Vulcan soup in uh, in the motion picture. It was like, oh, uh-oh, <laughs> need another science officer. <laughs> this one's all melty. Um... And it's, it's like, kill me, <laughs> like, right? That's what would have probably happened. The fact that it it combined them into a new sentient life and um, made a cool new costume for it, that was dumb. It's just that I couldn't get behind the episode after that happened. Um, the episode also, oh, and the fact that it didn't have, it didn't have any medical issues. It's like, oh, this integrated perfectly, and it's a perfectly functioning thing. You'd think it'd be like, it doesn't have a liver. We need a holographic liver. Also, the fact that it didn't deal with Tuvox and Neelix and their relationship, right? Because that was always like a, I guess they were trying to do an Odo Quark thing that didn't really work. Um, but they've dealt with it in other episodes. It really doesn't hit until Rise, 
But um, yeah, it's just, they never mentioned that they were one person again. They don't mention the memories of it. It doesn't lead anything to their relationship growing or becoming different. It's just, it's kind of like, it's a throwaway of the two of them. Um, The idea, another con, the idea of creating a new life and deciding whether to stay as it is or go back to the old way was done much better with Tuvok in Riddles when he loses his ability, his loses his logic, loses his control over his emotions, and actually is a bit, um, um, he loses a lot of his skills and knowledge and is a bit more, let's just say, simple and creative. And like, what that made that episode better is that it was his choice to ultimately go back, not Janeway sentencing him to death. Um, so that that issue was done much better, I think, in that episode. So if I'm going to judge Tuvix, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm taking out the entire transporter piece of it all. And I think you get a merged Neelix Tuvox better in one of two ways. One, you make it a Katra search for Spock kind of thing, where Tuvok puts himself in Neelix because there's some accident he's going to die. Um, and not only is Neelix storing Tuvok, but because of Talaxi and something, 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 they actually start merging. In the same way that, you know, McCoy went a little crazy, but have this be like basically it's a new personality, a new person. Uh, and you can have it that Neelix... This newly, he even takes on the name of Tuvix to honor that Tuvok is in him now, or something like that. And he feels that he is a new person. It it hurts his relationship with Kess. Um, he doesn't want to go back because he has Tuvok's, you know, intelligence and tactical knowledge, and he feels more useful on the ship. And right, and then you can still have the Janeway like forcing him to go back to the way he was. Um, even though he doesn't want it. So you can still have that issue if you if you want that issue still in the episode. Or you encounter some sort of alien pod planet, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers kind of thing, where the way it, sort of like a Venus flytrap kind of thing, and then the way it, it procreates is it basically zaps the DNA and uh, mental synaptic energy or whatever of a victim and then creates kind of a a duplicate out of the material, but it's like its species. And here it did it to both Tuvok and Neelix and sort of merged what it got from them into this thing. Um, it's kind of in the vein of Ashes to Ashes, where, you know, that race procreated through um, necrophilia. No, <laughs> I don't think they fucked the corpses. They might have. That might have been off screen. Um but uh, where they they reanimate corpses as their like children, it could kind of be like that, but a little more you know dangerous. They're actually this thing is actually killing people and making it into its people. It's also similar to that shitty Harry episode we did first season, favorite son kind of thing, where they make themselves out of other creatures or whatever. So they could have done that, um, and then. The dilemma, they, they kind of dance around it. I don't think they ever really put it clearly. Janeway does say it, but I don't think they, they talk about it enough, which is, she says, like, at what point did they go from a transporter accident to a new life form? 
and, and I think the, the issue underlying that is, did they die at that moment? And if so, is resurrecting two dead friends worth killing a new thing? And now that I'm saying that out loud, I feel like that happened in Voyager later. I feel like I just watched an episode like that. The cost of preserving or of saving a friend was killing a life form or something. Ah, it was a season six or season seven episode. I can't recall it right now, but I feel like I, I saw that recently. But yeah, that's the more underlying dilemma. Like, did Tuvok and Neelix die? That should have been explored more. And then Janeway could justify her choice a bit less, you know. And also, if you had this new creation, this Tuvix, not being able to fulfill the duties of specifically Tuvok, Janeway could sort of put her decision not just in, they're my friends, I want them back, but in this ship needs its tactical officer to get home, which, again, was what Neelix convinced Tuvok of when he um, became a baker. Um, I guess he was a pastry chef. When Tuvok was preparing for the Great British Bake Off um, instead of manning tactical, and Neelix like, tells him, hey, uh, we need to fix your brain so you can fire phasers. And he was like, I, let's do it. So it could be a little more of that, like where Janeway, and it doesn't have to be his choice, Tuvix's choice, but Janeway's just like, we need our tactical officer, and I'm making this decision on behalf of the needs of this crew to get them home. That could have been, you know, in there to make this a little better. Um, And honestly, I think some of the crew should have been pro-Tuvix. The fact that no one stood up for him, not one person, especially when I think Tom was even like, I like this guy better than the other two which I think the entire audience kind of agreed with, um, would have added more weight to it if it wasn't the whole crew. Because I I feel like they had to do that in the script because I don't think they were confident that Janeway was doing the right thing. So they couldn't have anybody challenge her on it other than the doctor. If Chakotay, Balana, if other people were like, uh, actually, don't murder this person. I'm... We liked Tuvok and Neelix too, but they're dead. Um, I don't know. I think they might have lost more of the audience on the resolution. But again, these episodes are 30 years old, and why are we doing it? Well, we're doing it because we love Star Trek, and we love talking about it. So my hats off to Voyager and the writer's room in season two for having an incredibly strong eight-episode great after great, after great, after great, after great, in season two, um, Mel, Dreadnought, Deathwish, Life Science Investigations, Deadlock, Innocence, Resolutions, really killed it on those. The Thaw only chose it because of um, uh, Captain Jeremiah's complaints and Tuvix, which is, it's funny, season two is really solid, and then it's got things like Threshold and Tuvix, where it's like, ugh. But, hey, it happens. Um... Really great. Season two. So ending season two. It's really great. Voyager really, I thought, did a... This is probably Voyager's... I mean, maybe I'll, I'll change my mind when we get into the next season, which will be our last season before the, se- before the season of this podcast ends. Um, I think... I think this is probably the strongest 
pre-Seven of Nine Voyager is season two. Um, so I feel like season three, once the Kazon aren't around anymore and Seska's gone, it's like, it kind of meanders a bit. Like it's looking for a new overarching story. Um, but we'll get to it. But not next week, because next week I'm doing my very special Seska wish list episode and discussion of basics. So until then, uh, see you on Instagram at Star Trek Zhuzh. See you on TikTok. Uh, my personal TikTok, Jack Tracy Official, T-R-A-C-Y, no E. I post some stuff there related to the podcast as well as to other stuff. And the Patreon. Don't forget to sign up, Star Trek Zhuzh, on Patreon, where we will watch Star Trek Insurrection and judge it together. See you next week.